So, uh, my title was something about something. I don't know what it was. But basically, whoop, basically I um, changed the title and the text. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to James 2, I thought we'd go down a different route than the route I initially thought I was going to take. So James 2, let me just read it as you're all turning there. James 2 verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, uh, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into a meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really uh, keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourselves, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but uh, do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. Amen. So I was uh, invited to speak in Ireland uh, about a year or so ago. And uh, once uh, I sort of uh, arrived in the city I was speaking at, and uh, I got my bags and put them in some place I was staying. I thought, I'll take a walk around the town. I was a bit early. I'll check the place out. And, uh, and I was, as I was walking into the town, I came across the church that I'd happened to be invited to speak at that weekend. And uh, there were uh, lots of people uh, milling around in the sort of entrance and stuff because it sort of doubled into a bit of a cafe area as well. And so I thought, well, I'll have a pop in and see what a crack is. So anyway... I wandered into this church, walked in, and as soon as I got to the door, two very, very lovely, friendly women rushed up to me, and they welcomed me, and they said, hi, have you got a voucher? And um, they didn't ask me my name, uh, and I've not been around many Northern Ireland churches, I thought it was maybe it's a cultural thing, and, I just, and I'm like, nah, I haven't got a voucher. Um, a voucher for what? And then at this point, they looked a little concerned, and uh, so they called a couple of guys over. So a couple of, sort of Christian guys ambled over, trying to look mean. And uh, they said to me, can we help you? Uh, they said, I said, yeah, yeah, you probably could, fellas. I'm just here to look around. Uh, I said, uh, offered them my hand, shake my hand. Um, they sort of begrudgingly took my hand. And uh, they said, well, um, you can't be in here unless you've got a voucher. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this, this lassie said, what do I need a voucher for? What's that all about? And, um, and he said, well, if you don't know what the voucher's for, then you shouldn't be here, should you? And I'm like, right, now I'm getting a bit irked, right? Because uh, I had my smiley face on. I was being friendly. And now I was confused. And I'm saying to them, listen, are you telling me to get into your church, I need some sort of voucher? And um, he said, no. You need the voucher to get food from the food bank. And obviously, 
They thought I was some homeless dude who just walked in off the street, right? Now, I don't need a bag of food, I said. I'm not here for a bag of food. I'm just checking out the building, hoping I can catch a couple of minutes with the pastor. I won't say the pastor, I'm not going to embarrass the church, but he is embarrassed by this story, and I often amuse myself by telling it. Um, and I said, look, is he in? I gave him his name, is he, is he in? Um, he said, well, yeah, I'm going to voucher, and uh, he's busy. I said, okay, he's busy. Can you leave a message for him then? Right? At least can you do that for me? Is that all right? I didn't need a voucher for that as well. Right? I'm getting right. In fact, maybe I write on the back of a voucher, so we're all, we're all right. So by now, another man has joined him, right? And Christian guys, they're not very intimidating. When you wear cardigans like that, it's just not going to work. All right. um, anyway, and, um, and I said, listen, look, forget it. When you come in, you just tell him, Mez passed by, see how he was, check the crack out, see you later, boys. And then I turned to leave, and then this guy come through the door, and he said, are you Mez McConnell? And I said, yeah, I am Mez McConnell. And he said, you're the guy who's speaking at our weekend, aren't you? And I said, yeah, that's me, yeah. And then it was beautiful, and I milked it. There was the most <laughs> awkward. You could see the look pass between them. Oh, crap, right? <laughs> uh, it was embarrassing. But then came the smiles. Oh, why didn't you say so? I'm like, we well, didn't ask my name, you just want a voucher. Uh, 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 well, come in. Would you like a cup of tea? Here's the one. Yeah, the pastor is in. We'll get him for you. So, you tell me what happened. I was the same person. I hadn't magically changed and grown six inches. It would have been nice, but I hadn't changed clothes. I still go with the homeless, shabby, chic look. Uh, they weren't being deliberately mean to me. I was calm and polite as I can be, and don't get me wrong, you know, but what, what had happened? You see, the actions had given the game away. What had happened is simply this. In their eyes, instantaneously, my status had changed. In their minds, a guest speaker is afforded more honor than a scruffy-looking dude wandering into their building, trying to find the pastor. And we all do that, don't we? We're all guilty of misjudging people. You should have seen them on the Sunday when I told the story in that church and they were all sat in the front row. <laughs> and people wonder why I don't like food banks. They're all, they're all mean to me. I, I do like food banks. Okay. Anyway, here's the point. We're all guilty of misjudging people, right? And we may hide it behind a facade of politeness, but we judge people. We decide almost instantly on what we think of a person and, and how we're going to treat them. We have people in our churches, don't we? All of us, when you mention their name, when you think of them even now, you write them off. Even if only in your mind, well, that's so-and-so, she's a bit nuts, she's up to this and that, he does that and, yep. We all do it. We've got the gobby ones, the quiet ones, the mental ones. The one who's super picky and wants to come after you after the service to make sure you use the right verb tense for toilet paper, because that's his thing. And this is the type of thing that's going on. And like the book of James is seeking to address. People are being treated unfairly. People are being given preferential treatment over others. And look what James says to them in verse 1. 
He says, practicing favoritism while claiming to follow Jesus isn't right. And do you know something? The word favoritism uh, turns up all over the New Testament. I'm fascinated by that word. Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Acts, 1 Peter. So it's obviously a huge problem, not just a problem in our day, but it's been a huge problem since the institution of the church that the Lord wants us to continually keep addressing. In fact, the word favoritism is actually an Old Testament concept that literally translates as to receive the face of somebody. So when a king in the olden days walked through uh, the, sort of, uh, uh, the town square, the poor people were not allowed to show their faces to the king. They had to look at the floor, and they could only show face to the king if he gave them permission to do so. And so the point here in James is, you can't love Jesus and show favoritism among Christian people. Romans 2.11, very clear. God does not even show favoritism. So, but what does he mean specifically about show favoritism? Well, the, the text is quite clear. Verses 2 and 3 tells a story, doesn't he? Um, about two people going to church meeting. One comes in dripping with cash. Others a bit of a peasant. What's hilarious about culture has changed is that the guy coming in dripping with gold is probably the working class dude in today's culture, right? But anyway, let's just... See what it originally meant. The guy who looks like he's important gets well treated. The guy mm, who's not really that important doesn't get the same treatment, doesn't get what he deserves. So let's say, and I'll pick a a working class example, Conor McGregor got saved. Do you all know who Conor McGregor is? Yeah, of course you do. People are going, who on earth is that gentleman? Well, Google him. Anyway, Conor McGregor gets saved. Imagine how cool it would be in your church. If, what if Conor McGregor came to your church and got converted? That would be chicken, wouldn't it? That would be uh, mental, chicken oriental, mental, right? That would be chicken. Now, what if Conor McGregor walked into your church and then behind him, one of the local flipping drug addicts who's always knocking about trying to get stuff off you came in behind him? You know the drill, right? All pasty white, dripping sweat, on the furniture, not washed for a week, his nails black, he's honking. How would you treat him? Would we give him the same attention we've given Connor? Would he be a biggest win for the kingdom in our church if that was to happen in our eyes? Would we sit the drug addict next to Connor or would we sit Connor next to someone more appropriate? and make sure our guys, our little team of middle-class bodyguards in cardigans, quickly body-swerve the homeless guy in the back so he doesn't cause a scene. And this is the sort of discrimination that James is talking about, to discriminate against a person put purely by their appearance. And when Jesus came into the world, we know he came, he identified with sinners. More than that, he, he hung out largely with the untouchables, the lowest of the low. In Mark 12, 37, we, we read that the... Good boys. Listen, boys, thanks for what you've done. Appreciated it. Have a safe trip back. All right, lads. Nice one. Sorry about that small interjection. (laughs) Right? So, Mark 12, 37 says, look, the common people loved him, the religious leaders didn't. And and, and the issue going on is, we love Jesus in the schemes because Jesus was an absolute riot, wasn't he? He was always sticking it to the man, and we like that about Jesus. He was always whacking the status quo. 
He was always showing up cultural blind spots, inconsistency, sin. And the people he was showing up, they loved appearances. What did Jesus say? Beware the scribes. They love to go out in long clothes. They love salutations in the marketplace. They love the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost places at feasts. They devour widows' houses for a pretense. They make long prayers. These shall receive greater condemnation. But you'd think the way that many churches and Christians represent Jesus, that he wore flannel pants, a roll neck, and went out of his way not to, you know, offend anyone. But the Bible is clear, crystal clear, God has a special place in his heart for the poor. Psalm 41.1, happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. Psalm 72.12, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. You see, when we've got money, when we've got a few quid in the bank and a nice gaff, we tend to be proud and arrogant. We tend to think we can sort ourselves out. We don't need God's, but the poor have no such luxuries. They, they have to cry out to God's. They, 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 they need to take these verses seriously. Listen to Proverbs 21.3. Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Proverbs 29.7. The righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked one does not understand those concerns. Time after time, you read in the Bible, God sending prophet after prophet to warn his people about the treatment of the poor. You know, I often teach in my Bible classes a very simple principle. If you're reading a text or a passage of the Bible and a word gets repeated lots of times in a very small um, space, God is trying to tell us something. I wonder how long it would take me if I had just decided I'm not going to speak, I'm just going to read out every single verse in the Bible that contains a reference to the poor and the oppressed. I bet that would take me some time, wouldn't it? And yet, we still seem to be not getting the fact that God is saying something. There's something happening. Even the sacrificial system. If you couldn't afford a lamb as a sacrifice, you could bring a small bird or a pigeon. In other words, God set the system up so the poor could participate. And then you jump into the New Testament, you see the beginning of the church made up of all kinds of people. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Paul reminds the church, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. I hear pastors, I hear church members saying these kinds of things very often. Ringing me up, somebody's been converted in my church, they're not really our kind of people, we're not really gifted at dealing with these kind of people, our church is not geared up to dealing with these kind of people. Maybe some of us are too polite to be that brutal, and so we keep our thoughts to ourselves, but we keep a manageable distance. We do it when we have play dates with moms who are like us, not with the moms off the estate who are a bit of a mare. You know, we wouldn't want our kids influenced by the really naughty kids running around sticking their tongues in light sockets, would we? We invite only our special friends for, out for things. We smile outwardly on a Sunday and we're gracious to people, but inwardly we are showing partiality and favoritism. We've made distinctions, we have discriminated. In fact, the word is very similar to the one he uses in chapter 1, verse 8, for double-minded. In other words, when we behave like this, we are literally unstable. It is a sign that we're not spiritually right. It is a sign that something is wrong, that something is amiss in our soul. If we are not able to embrace those like us, sorry, who are unlike us, then there's a problem in our souls. Our Christianity is deficient. 
It shows we've not understood the gospel properly. It shows that we've not understand, understood just how poor we all are spiritually. And I don't care whether your, your name's Herbert, you read the Times, and you have a spiffing collection of colored slacks, or if you're the Rab for Glasgow with free teeth and a wrongly spelled Celtic tat. We all stand equal in God's sight at the foot of the cross. And if the Christ who deigned to come down to our level has not touched our souls in such a way that we can do little more than tolerate one another, then it shows that we haven't understood anything whatsoever about the good news of Jesus. It shows us just how much we think of ourselves when the gospel actually shows us we've got nothing to be proud of. What do you think the Bible says? It's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Pride. Forget the first beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And by keeping the poor at arm's length, we've not understood. What if Jesus did the same to you? What if he said to you, well, you know what? Yeah, you're just not my type of person. And that's why when we act like this, we are in big trouble. And we all do. We're all judging one another. Starts at school, goes all the way throughout our lives. What car do you drive? Who do you know? Where do you live? What's your footy team? Where do you go to church? What university did you go to? We judge, 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 judge constantly. We decide if we're going to like people or not. The real cultural black blind spot of people from our culture is we instantaneously make decisions about people and it's supremely hard for us to pull them back. Am I right, Ian? We just think bad things. I kept a bad word in there. The Lord is really working on me. Okay? The social, again, is the equalizer. James says here, clearly, it is evil to make distinctions. Evil. Why do you think I started 20 schemes? To split the church in half? To cause division? Give me a break. Because no one's doing it. Because there's evil in the UK church. There is division and distinction being made. Even if there's some progress being made in the last few years. It's been said here before, but worth repeating. Where is the evangelical church in our communities? Lots of churches being planted in the city, in the suburbs, reaching university students, reaching middle class people. Who sits on the board of these things? Not our people. We have camps that exclude most poor children from them by the very dint of what they cost. How is that not segregation? How is that not favoritism? And listen, I know it's not as simple as all that. I know there's nuance to this. Of course there is, but there's, there's still the facts. Now again, at this point you may be shrugging, thinking here he goes, the little man is on a ramp. The chips are out in full force. But it isn't just me making a big deal about this, is it? It's the Lord. It's the word of God. Look at the end of verse 4. What does it say? It's not me. It says, when we judge one another, when we show partiality and favoritism, what's the word? It is evil. It's not just not a very nice thing. It's unfortunate. It's evil. It's a terrible sin. It's an awful sin. It's an evil among us, he says. It's ungodly. It's as far from Christianity as you could possibly get. That's why James says what he says in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? 
That's not some socialist rant, by the way. Look what he calls them. He's beloved. He's not like me. He's not angry with them. He's pleading with them as a brother. If you go with the rich, you side with blasphemers. If you go against the poor, you go against the God who has chosen them. He's talking about the spiritually mature here, those who are skint, those who have less influence. And it's easy in our churches to see it. Maybe the guy who gives the most in the offering gets the easiest ride. But the guy on the dole, struggling with addiction, at the first sign he's fluffed it, that he's muffed it, bang, we're all over him. Yeah? All over him. But the other geese are getting away with murder because he's got a few quid and he can hide it better. Are we treating people equally? The guy with money and a good job gets to be an elder. The other guy, the gobby guy, guy with a blunt opinion and he's not, you know, he needs to maybe, you know, catch them with honey instead of vinegar. Someone told me that this week. I didn't know what that was either. No. What is James, what does he say in verse six? He says, you've despised them. And so he asks some questions in verses 6 to 7. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Yes. Are they not taking you to court? Yes. Are they slandering Jesus? Yes. Then why is it? Then one of them comes through the door. You're all over them like a rash. That's the, that's the, the sense here. We think if we give them preferential treatment, then maybe it'll take away our hardship. Maybe the world will look at us better. That's why I hate these personality testimonies. Remember years ago, Glenn Oddle became a Christian. Anyone remember that? Christians were all over themselves. Like Glenn Oddle became a Christian and that. No, he didn't. He was a fruit bat. It just showed like the obsession with the personality and power and prestige and how it's going to make us look if that really happens. And we, who are from the working class, we have every right to feel aggrieved about how the church has treated us over the years. We have every right to call out the sin of how the middle class church has looked down their nose at us. Every right to be angry that people have, we have been sidelined uh, in churches, in internships, in all sorts of training over people with degrees. Every right. And yet here's the thing, my very few working class brethren and scumbags like me in the building this afternoon. We sin when we do the same thing to our brothers and sisters in the Lord who aren't like us. Maybe they wear a posh frock and they've got children called Felicity. Sorry, if your kid's called Felicity, that's not a thing about kids with Felicity. We do the same thing when we particularly keep away from posh people in our church. They talk funny. Yes, they do talk funny, but you know what? That's what correct English sounds like. Amazing, eh? Who'd have thunk it? They wear sweaters. Yeah. I know. Or a geezer comes into our gaff with a shirt and a tie, and we feel awkward because he doesn't fit in to the feel we're going for on the estate, right? We sin. Don't we, Ian? And we're bad at it, aren't we? We're bad at it, aren't we? We're horrific at it and we need to repent. 
You see, people often get confused. 20 schemes is not 20 schemes. We're not growing 20 poor churches. We're growing 20 gospel churches in poor communities where rich and poor sit together, live together, worship together, journey through life together. That is the beauty of the gospel. No slave, no free, no Jew, no Greek, no Unigrad, no building laborer, no copper, no criminal, but one in Jesus. That's the gospel that our churches need to be proclaiming and modeling to one another. And far too many of us wear our council estateness with far too much pride. And we use it to hammer, bang people over the head who are not like us. Don't we, Ian? And it's sin, isn't it, Ian? And we're guilty of it. Some of us think our university education and our family upbringing make us better than those who haven't had those things. We don't say it out loud, of course because we're far too polite for that. But we think it, don't we? We show it in who we invite round to dinner, or to those we socialize with us. But if God is at work in us as we claim, if we're claiming to be Christians, then God will help us and show us our blind spots. All of us, we've got to all work hard at our sin. Listen to me, can I just be, can I be honest? I don't want to sit around with people talking about cricket and the latest episode of Mr. Selfridge. Is that is it Mrs. Selfridge or Mr. Selfridge? Don't be pretending you don't know what it is. <laughs> After you've got it on record. I don't want to dip M&S gluten-free crackers into caramelized hummus. <laughs> I don't want to. And you shouldn't want to either. (laughs) I want to hang out with people like me who laugh at take me out. Not sit there and think that's an appalling, isn't it? That's an appalling judgment on the state of our society. (laughs) No, it's bloody funny. Look at him. Look at this idiot coming down the love lift, giving it all that. But you know what? Christian love demands that I put my prejudices away and love those who are different to me to repent of my evil, sinful judgmentalism. And it's a battle, isn't it? Oh, it's a battle. We've got to encourage one another into godliness. Let me switch my opening story around, and I've got three minutes, and I think I've spoken really fast to get this done. I have obeyed the silver fox. So... He loves it. He's the silver fox. He loves it. So let me switch my story around, my opening story around, because those people were mean to me, weren't they? Horrible middle-class individuals. Right. A couple of years ago, this rich businessman flew into Nidri from Hollywood. True story. I mean, I didn't know him. He he literally flew in from Hollywood. And um, he said he did. He might have been some mad job that I believed. Anyway, (laughs) he turned up in church in a flash suit, right? And I mean flash. Probably cost more than my car, this suit. And I found him, somebody called me and said, this is Madhead come in the church looking for you. So I found him in the church cafe, eating a butty and sitting in a corner. And um, we were in a community cafe in our church, just open every day. It's just like a mad front room in, in the scheme. And um, all sorts of Madheads come. Anyway, we were just starting out, right? And I needed money. And um, I went on the way down, I'm thinking, who is this dude? He's got a few quid, do you know what I mean? If he's got a few quid, I'm going to tap this lad well up. Uh, maybe even get the suit off him and flogged out on eBay, right? Anyway, but I wasn't thinking it like 
you know, proper consciously, like I'm going to do it, it's just these thoughts were sort of in my head. Anyway, I got in there, and all that was in the cafe was him and this woman we were working with at the time. Sadly, she's dead now. But anyway, she must have weighed a good 20 stone, right? She was a big lass. I mean, think Ian, but just slightly smaller. <laughs> uh, and she was quite commonly girl, this woman, because she used to sound, cycle around Nidri on a stolen bicycle that was far too small for her. And then she used to wear these bright yellow leggings that used to show the crack of her backside when she got off. I mean, you could actually park the bike there, it was that big, right? She was loud. It's a beautiful picture, you know it. She was loud, she was aggressive, often high. And as I walk in, in my mind, instantaneously, I see the suit and I see the bum, right? I see the pain. Yeah, literally. And uh, sort of, the thought crosses my mind, and it's only briefly, but it's there. Is he more valuable to me at this minute than she is? Who's going to give me what I want? Cash for the ministry? I mean, it's to help me. All this in your head. I mean, it's to help people like her, right? That's what I'm telling myself. So let me butter this guy up, give him the chat. Sinful. Evil. And we have to guard our hearts because we're sneaky. So I don't begrudge those people who asked me for vouchers when I came to Ireland because you know what? I'm just as bad, worse. You might think, well, it's, you know, it's not like you killed anybody, right? Well, that's not, not what eight, verses 8 to 10 says. Verse 8 to 10 is basically saying, listen, by all means love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. That's the royal, the royal law. But when you love everybody the same, you never show partiality. You never show favoritism. And his point is, once we break the law, no matter how small we break all the law, when your windscreen gets a crack, do you leave it? Do you deal with it? Well, you deal with it because that crack will spread. He's saying this is the sin of favoritism. You need to root it out because it spreads and it's caused massive damage that you've heard about here today. The point here is this. We're all screwed. We all need Jesus. And verse 12, one day God will judge all of us. We want him to think the best of us, right? We want, him to, we want to treat others like that, especially those different than all of us. You know, the kings in the Old Testament made people look on the floor when they passed by. The same was true when the Shekinah glory of God passed by his people in the Old Testament. But you know something? King Jesus made himself poor for our sake. So no, not only can we look up to God and see his face, but we can spend eternity in his presence. Do you know what? Equally loved, and then one day all this nonsense will be over with. Amen.